0: From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. U.S. Representative Earl Blumenauer of Portland is the dean of the Oregon U.S. House delegation. He's a founder of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, a bike advocate, and prioritizes animal rights among a myriad of other issues. Thanks so much for being on the Oregon Grapevine. Representative Blumenauer, I really appreciate your time.
1: Happy to do it.
0: And I happen to be a big bow tie fan, so I'm hoping while we can't see it that you have one on.
1: <laughs> I do indeed. I think that's a family tradition of yours, isn't
0: it? It is, in fact. Yeah, my father wore bow ties, and I just think it's great. I I don't. How did you come about wearing bow ties? Why do you Why do you wear them?
1: Well, I uh, occasionally wore them before I went to Congress. It was very interesting. Um, Senator Hatfield uh, talked to me. He, he was a, a great help, uh, um, and said, "Well, you you often wear a bow tie, don't you?" And I said, "Yes." And he licked me in the eye and said, "Always wear a bow tie." And I thought about it for a moment and um, thought that was good advice. Uh, When you have all these pasty-faced, white, middle-aged and elderly men running around Congress in red ties and blue suits, um, wearing a bow tie is is a distinguishing characteristic, a little easier to connect with people. Um, um, And I've, I've done that every day I've been in Congress.
0: Well, thank you for carrying on the tradition. <laughs> I think it's
1: great. Well, and Paul Simon, uh, yes. uh, who had roots in Oregon, uh, was a great bowtie uh, aficionado. Uh, anyway, that's the story.
0: There you go. Well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. You were elected, of course, in 1996, and I'm interested in how the institution has changed in that time.
1: Certainly. It is... Uh, It's a bit of a moving target, uh, and I think it takes time for a lot of this to settle in. When I arrived on the heels of a special election halfway through uh, the 104th Congress, it was characterized by uh, sort of the hand-to-hand combat that Newt Gingrich had popularized. Um, He had his contract contract. On America uh, uh, he had weaponized uh, things on the House floor I mean he really uh, regarded the other party as the enemy not opponents uh, and uh, and refined that pretty uh, pretty aggressively uh, and uh, there was uh, uh, it was hyper partisan uh, very transactional um, basically uh, discouraging uh, the informal interactions that helped lubricate uh, the legislative process uh, for all prior history, um, as well as just sort of connecting with people as people. That uh, got a lot harder, uh, and it's continued to this day. It has reached uh, untold uh, depths. I, I guess you would call them uh, with uh, Donald Trump and uh, uh, extreme uh, uh, partisan uh, election deniers, uh, uh, resurrectionists, insurrectionists. Um, it's uh, it's been dispiriting, um, and it's reached the point where we witnessed an inability of the majority party uh, to even advance their number one priority um, by passing a rule. Um, They couldn't pass a rule on the debt ceiling. Uh, They had to have—they only got—they lost 26 Republicans who voted against it. It uh, was—the only way that we rescued uh, the economy was by having— Um, uh, over 50 Democrats vote for the rule to allow it to move forward um, and then provided uh, the majority of votes uh, to be able to uh, avoid a catastrophic collapse with uh, the debt ceiling uh, challenge. For the first time in 21 years, uh, the majority party lost a vote on the rule. Um, They didn't lose uh, the rule vote on the debt ceiling because we provided uh, votes to help them get across the finish line. What we have seen is that these uh, differences have been inflamed by social media. Over the last several years, um, we find that there's every uh, incentive for members of Congress to say ever more outrageous things uh, and drive that on social media uh, primarily for fundraising purposes. Uh, you look at the, at the people who uh, are often the most prolific fundraisers are people that just get on television and say crazy things um, and like, likewise with Twitter and attack the other side. Um, it, uh, it pays off, uh, they, are, they are successful, uh, they, they raise a lot of money, they get a lot of notoriety uh, but it has had a very corrosive effect on the legislative process itself
0: it's easy to and i hear a lot of people just condemning all politicians outright i come from a a place where for perhaps obvious reasons i don't do that i tend to have optimism that in fact people like you and other people are willing to have conversations however it certainly all we get and hear about is contention and it's easy to be dispirited so what do you and others who are more moderate in your thinking, do? Are you optimistic that it can turn around? Do you have other conversations, luncheons or something? Where Where is this going?
1: Well, I do think uh, that we are not doomed. Um, I do think that there are a number of men and women, actually in both parties, that uh, didn't uh, seek election to be uh, provocateurs. Um, And there are a range of issues that I've specialized in um, that are second- and third-tier issues. They're not top of mind. You'll never read about them in the Wall Street Journal or hear about it on uh, C-SPAN or MSNBC, Um, but issues that nonetheless are consequential and have a bipartisan base of support. Uh, You mentioned in the introduction, I think, uh, the animal welfare. Uh, This is an issue that I feel strongly about because uh, it is an area of great need, um, but it's also something that brings people together. Uh, I organized the Animal Protection Caucus. It's bipartisan. We have legislation that we advance for animal welfare that not only makes a difference for human health, for animal welfare, for agriculture policy, but it has the potential of bringing people together rather than dividing them. Infrastructure, uh, rebuilding and renewing America has been a, a high priority of mine uh, long before I went to Congress uh, and have specialized in that. And that used to be an issue that brought people together, although recently uh, the Uh, sort of the the Tea Party, um, Trump acolytes, um, weaponized support for uh, the infrastructure. We had a a major infrastructure bill that passed the last Congress, uh, the most sweeping in a generation. Um, But there were only 13 Republicans in the House that voted for it. In fact, one of uh, my friends, a Republican from West Virginia, actually was attacked uh, in his Republican primary for supporting the infrastructure bill. I mean, that is a staggering, breathtaking development. West Virginia was built on bags of money that Robert Byrd delivered to West Virginia, a tradition, frankly, that Joe Manchin continues. Um, and he lost a primary over that. It's uh, it's a, It's a— it's a different era. But I will say that, that issues like that, um, it's one of the reasons why I've worked so hard on cannabis. Uh, not only is it long overdue to uh, end the failed war on drugs and be able to deal with the horrific uh, racial injustice, the, the failure to be able to provide access to a, a therapy with medical cannabis that it, it can be transformational, Um, This is something that I have literally been working on for 50 years, Um, uh, 50 years this month, actually. We had uh, the first bill that was ever passed by a legislature that decriminalized cannabis, Uh, but that was done on a bipartisan basis Uh, when I first started that. Cannabis legalization was very controversial and was actually opposed by a majority of the public until you had a chance to talk to them about it. Now, uh, the general public supports full legalization uh, by uh, a margin of uh, more than two to one. Uh, so I, I like being able to work in this space on issues that are important. They may not be the most important to everybody, but I would think uh, it's pretty easy to document things like animal welfare, cannabis reform, infrastructure. These are things that do bring people together. They are very, very important, and they've been neglected too long.
0: As I mentioned, you are the dean now of the delegation, so congratulations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> what is the role for that and does the delegation meet either either the six members of the house or all eight members of congress? Do you all talk or communicate or have common common goals that you discuss or get together for lunch or whatever? Uh
1: that is increasingly difficult. There used to be a uh, a members dining room that I would try and go to every uh, every week at least once, uh, where there are some big tables and people um, uh, would sit down with people from different committees and different parties. Uh, that's less the case now. Um, we are uh, involved uh, with incessant um, uh, receptions, fundraising luncheons, uh, uh, interest groups that make... Uh, appearances in Capitol Hill, um, there's less uh, interaction on an informal basis. There are some things that uh, occur. One that I cherish is work with the Aspen Institute, which sponsors uh, issue breakfasts, um, usually two or three a month, bringing in some recognized experts, where we have uh, people from the House and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats, who uh, are there to hear the expert make a presentation and then be involved with discussions and questions. Um, there have been uh, uh, some uh, some of the organizations that have hosted uh, policy dinners. Uh, I was at one with a scholar from India this week that was fascinating in, and there there was uh, bipartisan attendance but there's much less of this in a formal sense um, and there is uh, i think a greater need even though the demands of schedules and the attitude regarding partisanship make that harder to do
0: can you walk just the brief version perhaps or the the layman, the layperson's version for someone who doesn't really understand how how in fact not necessarily how a bill gets created, and but how does work actually get done? Does a constituent bring you an idea? Does a staff member, do you dream of it? And then the bill gets passed. Are there conversations with other members of Congress, or is it very different depending?
1: It, it, it very much depends on the issue, the member, the timing. Um, there is sort of the, uh, what is it, Schoolhouse Rock or whatever, uh, the... Uh, how, how a bill becomes law: it gets an idea, gets drafted, goes to committee. Uh, it works its way through the House floor and then to the Senate. Um, the legislative process is very, very convoluted and complex. Um, Capitol Hill is like a, a small village. It's 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 like. Um, 12,000 people who are staff uh, and uh, key uh, media and uh, interest groups. The hard work is done between the office and the committees uh, where you have professional staff who specialize uh, in developing concepts. Um, I uh, have probably more ideas than I should uh, get bogged down with. But that's part of that is the culmination of having worked in this space all my adult life. And so I have a variety of uh, items of legislation that I've worked on for years that keep uh, coming back, being refined. Um, I mentioned the the, the cannabis legislation, uh, a number of bills that we're working through. Part of what is fun for me is being able to engage uh, with the range of folks in the public to be able to explore them. Uh, I'll just use the cannabis as an example. We've uh, had uh, we created uh, a bipartisan cannabis caucus where the member offices uh, have staff members that are that specialize in this issue who come together. Uh, we ha- we will have briefing sessions that we host. That give people information about aspects of the legislation. Um, it is uh, a long and arduous task uh, to be able to finally get it enacted into law. There are very few standalone bills that pass these days. Usually they are part of larger legislative packages, and a lot of the work is to try and insert them. In a larger transportation bill or drug policy bill, uh, or getting it into the, the appropriations process, um, it's uh, increasingly captive of uh, the forces of the committees. The committees are larger um, today, uh, and they are—they uh, have increased specialization in terms of staff members and increasingly uh, the control of the legislative process as the heavy hand of leadership. Um, now I, I thought Nancy Pelosi was uh, the best speaker in American history, uh, the most influential member of Congress in my entire tenure, um, but she uh, assumed a great deal of control uh, over that legislative process, now, Nancy, to her credit, was inclusive. But if you didn't uh, pay attention to her and uh, her staff and what she wanted, much much harder to get enacted. Um, but there's no single uh, step that goes forward. It is uh, you you want to tailor it to the issue, tailor it to the times, and craft it in a way that speaks to the strengths that you have in the interest that the public is facing. Uh, it makes a big difference if the public supports it and is excited about it.
0: So I'd like to extrapolate for a minute. It, since now there's these big kind of omnibus or big bills that you were mentioning, that instead of it being one particular lit piece of legislation that you pass, etc., first of all, I'm assuming maybe a lot of members of Congress don't read the whole thing, although that might be up for, <laughs> up, up for interpretation. But do you think? people kind of sneak stuff in or how, you know, is it, is it a good thing? Do you think this is a good way for it to go? Or do you wish that it had gone another way or do you want to stay away from that?
1: I think it's uh, in, in practical terms, uh, this has been driven by the times, by the pressure, uh, by the complexity of legislation. Um, Nobody reads all the bills. I mean, if you pick up uh, a complex tax bill, uh, that may be uh, 500 pages, uh, and even if you sit down and read it and stayed awake, uh, you wouldn't fully be able to understand the the cross-references. Uh, legislation uh, the, the, to interpret uh, is an art itself. I had uh, one of the most interesting classes I took in law school was legislative drafting, uh, learning about the the tools that the men and women who work for us in what is called legislative council, the role they play, whether it's in the state legislature or in Congress. Uh, It's uh, the complexity we have in an era of highly contentious uh, partisanship, uh, where there is an, an amazing array of very powerful special interests and bills that are rarely simple and straightforward. Um, there are layers and layers and layers of complexity um, and just uh, infrastructure in terms of the cross-referencing uh, to the various modes, standards, and requirements. Uh, it gets complex in a real hurry.
0: What do you do for fun <laughs> to kind what? of keep your mind on, on the positive parts of all of it?
1: Well, I, I like being involved with this process. I've enjoyed it. I've had some Uh, success uh, that I'm proud of. In terms of pioneering work, this last Congress, we passed the most far-reaching environmental provisions uh, for energy uh, efficiency. I've been working on those for probably 13 years, uh, back in the uh, early stages of the uh, Obama administration, but we kept at it, moved, uh, mobilized support, uh, made it a political issue um, and ultimately, we enacted um, uh, the legislation that I first introduced uh, over a dozen years ago. Um, I enjoyed the people uh some of the people uh it's It's fascinating the, 535 men and women who are in Congress. Uh, every one of them's got a, a story. One of the things I enjoy doing is finding ways where there is a personal connection. I, for years, I have given a pretty comprehensive letter to every new member of Congress about things that I wish people had told me and my family when I was first elected. Uh, and I hand deliver it. People in both parties. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, helps me understand who's part of that process. Um, and then things like energy conservation, bicycle, bike partisanship uh, is an area where I found uh, it, it's not sort of an, uh, a, a trivial issue. Uh, the bicycle is the most efficient form of urban transportation ever designed. Um, burning calories instead of fossil fuel has a huge impact on our communities uh, in terms of safety and access. Uh, makes a huge difference for young people. Um, uh, the cyclist is an indicator species of a livable community. Um, we've been working for years to improve access uh, to uh, bicycling we have there's a friend of mine has uh, inspired a, uh, a a charity um, world bicycle relief that has distributed about three quarter million bicycles to poor people uh, around the world uh, and for that poor family, that bicycle can be transformational it means that the if the kid is able to get to school and have an extra hour to study, uh, or that uh, the mother can take products to market to sell. Um, and as I said, everybody's got a bike story, and that's that's a way to bring to bring people together. Now, today we are facing a crisis in terms of bike and pedestrian safety. There's uh, the the rates of injury and death have skyrocketed. Uh, particularly in the aftermath of the pandemic, but this is this is something that doesn't have to be very partisan. It's not grotesquely expensive, and it makes a difference for families and their lives. so these are these are things that I find um, uh, I find rewarding and interesting. Uh, I've had pretty good luck integrating uh, what I do for a living with people that I know and work with and things that matter to my community, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's energizing.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I didn't get to even ask you about the fruitcakes that I know you're reputed to bake and pass out, but, <laughs> but thank, <Yeah>. you. <laughs> thank you very much for your, for your work and what you do and for your time today. I appreciate it for being on the Oregon Grapevine.
1: Nope. Happy to help. I hope it was useful.
0: You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.